5.48 a.m. on Monday, November 4th, 2019, Chris Kamsimski walks into the new corporate headquarters for McDonald's located in the trendy West Loop section of downtown Chicago. This is his first day as the newly appointed CEO of McDonald's. Less than 24 hours ago, McDonald's board of directors announced the sudden termination of his predecessor. McDonald's announcing late Sunday that Steve Easterbrook was out as CEO effective immediately after, quote, demonstrating poor judgment and having a consensual relationship with an employee. He's succeeded by McDonald's USA president, Chris Kempchinski. Kempchinski, though, faces a challenging environment in the fast food space. McDonald's recently reported its first miss on earnings in two years, and he'll have to continue to build on technology momentum and its delivery business as he takes on this new role. Hello, I'm Mike Merrill, here with Zach Rose, and this is the final episode of Season 1 of Hamburger Business Review. We're talking about a 2019 case study titled simply McDonald's Corporation, and it's all about the sudden rise of Chris Kempinski to the Golden Throne. Let's talk about... How we got here. Let's talk about how we got here. Let's set the stage for Chris K. In the early 2000s, the Golden Throne was in flux. There was a rapid string of untimely deaths, and Jim Skinner becomes the CEO. Now, Skinner was the architect of the plan-to-win strategy, which is a wonderful name. Knowing that the market is saturated, that they can't expand within the U.S., he moves from acquiring real estate to generating increased sales from existing locations. The way he did this was to keep stores open longer, some 24 hours and some others on holidays. More hours, sales. Skinner took the money from those sales and revamped restaurants. The company invested over $1 billion in store upgrades. With the help of Don Thompson, who had spearheaded the McCafe campaign, Skinner also focused on cost-cutting and operational efficiency. Thompson took over in 2012, but the problem was is that Skinner had plucked all the low-hanging fruit, and there wasn't as much operational efficiency or like levers that Thompson could pull to squeeze more profits out. And during his reign, McDonald's struggled with weakening sales. Unable to produce results, Thompson surrenders the throne to Steve Easterbrook in 2015. Steve came in with big plans, and I feel like most of what Chris Kay is still doing, we'll talk about this, is continuity of Steve Easterbrook's agenda as a CEO. But he moves the company headquarters to a trendy part of Chicago and started to focus on millennials as both customers and employees. This is in line with his turnaround plan to reset and rebuild the business with three priorities, driving operational growth, returning the brand excitement, and unlocking financial value. Steve's initial plan sets the stage for what is going to become the sort of infamous velocity growth plan, which comes out in 2017. And that was built basically on Steve Easterbrook's architecting of this, like, we have to fix McDonald's. So he gets some initial success. He launches this big new velocity growth plan. And the new focus is honing in on some of those same things. So it's digital, where they're looking to reshape customer interactions, whether that's dine-in, takeout, drive-through delivery, specific delivery focus. Steve used to work for Pizza Express in the UK, and he understands the power of pizza delivery. So he brings that to McDonald's as a way to get into homes, dorm rooms, workplaces, whatever. And then also this strange idea, this EOTF, experience of the future, which is this idea to elevate the customer experience in restaurants using technology, which directly translates to the kiosks that we see and some of the other technology improvements that they've made. 
To us normal folk, McDonald's is fast food, but the industry term is quick service. The competition for McDonald's is other quick service restaurants like Burger King, Wendy's, Taco Bell, and Chick-fil-A. But it's also the newer wave of fast casual restaurants, which signaled more quality or more healthy options. These include premium burger chains like Five Guys, In-N-Out, and Shake Shack, but also Chipotle, Panera, and even Starbucks. And the McCafe elevated McDonald's breakfast game, which we talked about in a previous episode, which means they're also competing with Duncan and the Tim Hortons chain in Canada, as well as any number of local and regional coffee shops. So in order to fight on these multiple fronts, breakfast, burgers, coffee, delivery, chicken, McDonald's has given franchises more flexibility to offer relevant local menu items, something we've mostly seen on the international markets. But the McDonald's menu has swollen to over 120 items, which is a 75% increase from 2004, and much more than the 33-item menu from 1990. That 33-menu item from 1990 is what I remember from my days working at McDonald's in high school. Absolutely. Mike, what percentage of hamburgers in America does McDonald's sell? I think I would give a high estimate and probably think something like 15, 10 to 15%. Not even close. Not even close. McDonald's sells 50% of the hamburgers in America today. That's astounding. That boggles my mind. About half of Americans have an Apple iPhone for comparison. Wow. McDonald's dominates burgers in the same way that Apple dominates phones. Yeah, but with phones, there's only two options. You have one phone for years and years. You don't hold on to a burger for that many years. Very true. (laughs) Although you can. There are those weird videos of the non-decaying McDonald's burgers. Okay. Who is Chris Kimchim? So Chris was brought into McDonald's in 2015 after he was working at Kraft. And he was brought in by Steve Easterbrook and quickly promoted to president of McDonald's USA. They worked together on a lot of Steve's initiatives. And following Steve's sudden and rapid firing after a relationship was revealed that violated company policy, Chris has continued to develop and refine that plan that was laid out by Easterbrook. What else do we know? What is his background at Kraft? What did he do there? Chris comes from corporate and product marketing. He's not an operations guy and he's not a finance guy. He is a marathon runner. According to the case study, he also drinks low-cal monster energy at six in the morning. That was the best fact of this entire case study is just picturing this hyper-athletic new CEO. First thing he does, he comes in at 6 a.m. on his first day of work, just like, I did it. I'm in charge of all of McDonald's. And he just cracks that low-cal monster energy drink. I wonder how they even got that into the case study. It had to be mentioned in one of the source articles somewhere, because I'm sure there were some profiles of him as he switched offices and took that golden throne position. I've actually seen a video of him walking into his office, and it is the most generic, open, boring space that I've ever seen for a CEO. It's amazingly plain and simple. It looks like he brought nothing in with him and he can leave at a moment's notice. I saw that too and had the same thought. But it also speaks to such a clean brain. Chris gives me ex-addict energy. The marathon running, super focused on exactly what he's doing. He seems like a person who has demons that he has bested and now all of his energy is just being put into McDonald's. I read the thing on Wikipedia that he runs 50 miles a week. And how many other McDonald's employees do you think run 50 miles a week? How many McDonald's employees at the franchise level run 50 miles a week? 
Are you suggesting he's a little out of touch? It just seems obvious to me that he's living in a different world. It feels like he is a CEO that you would just buy and insert into a company. As we've gone a little bit deeper and seen more of him through the course of these 10 episodes, I have to say I like him. He has a little bit of cringy dad energy, but he's earnest. I believe in him. I believe in the Chris K era of McDonald's. Here's what I'll say about Chris Kamchinsky. It doesn't seem like he eats a lot of McDonald's. But I do think that he is a great steward of the IP of McDonald's. And I also will admit that he maybe has a long-term or at least an idealistic vision of McDonald's that is more in line with the locale energy drink and then running 50 miles a week. Maybe there's a glide path for McDonald's to absorb this spirit from Chris K. For Chris, McDonald's is a widget factory. And the widgets that it produces happens to be burgers, chicken, and coffee. But his job is to sell widgets. His entire brain is oriented around the idea of how do I make this whole system work and operate better? And I don't think for him that the passion is McDonald's as much as it is a large and complicated system. I think he has a little bit of distance from it. And you can see that in that video he posted of taste testing the bacon burger, where he takes one bite and clearly sets the burger down and is not going to eat any more of that at all. It's almost like punishment that he has to probably eat as much McDonald's as he does. And that's why you believe in him? Yes, because he also loves it so much. We're doing a tasting in Rome, Italy. And the first is uh, their number one selling sandwich is a crispy McBacon. Let me try this. Mmm, McBacon. Add something extra. Love that. He loves high five and grimace. He loves traveling around and eating at the different international stores. He loves it, but he's not attached to it. He has a loose grip on McDonald's. So in January of 2023, McDonald's released their updated growth strategy called Accelerating the Arches. And this is the one I remember most. And it consists of three pillars. That third pillar has four details. So conveniently, they are MCD, also the stock ticker of McDonald's Corporation. And Maximize our marketing. How do we do that? We focus on brand of McDonald's and we maintain affordability. We've seen them get off of this by trying things like an upscale expensive burger, which didn't work. A lesson from the 90s. Exactly. Highlighting this and maximizing our marketing, we are going to be really focused on what it is to be McDonald's. And part of that is we will always be affordable. C, commit to the core. The core is listed as simply burger, chicken, coffee, which is pretty amazing it will be interesting to see where new products come from as it relates to these three. And the last one, M, C, D, double down on the four Ds. Mike, what are the four Ds? Delivery, digital, drive-through, and development. So delivery, as we've talked about, Easterbrook coming from a pizza delivery mentality and looking at how do you expand McDonald's and sell it even further from each location. Digital, we've seen this as they move to the app and point system, clearly looking at also some of the dynamic yield and AI enhancements that we've seen, the kiosk in the store. We've also got drive-through, which seems like a classic McDonald's thing. They are doubling down on it though. And then the fourth one, development, which I'm pretty sure means regions, stores, real estate, that sort of thing. 
that's Chris's view and his mission driving forward. We've seen him at the controls for a couple of years now. Looking to the future and what Chris K can do, might do, will do, should do, let's talk about some of the opportunities that McDonald's has. One of the things that I thought was very bold was a corporate post that I read about accelerating the arches that noted McDonald's is operating from a position of strength. And you talked about how McDonald's controls almost half of the U.S. hamburger market. I love that McDonald's knows this and speaks about itself in this way. They are confident that they are the dominant leader and they're going to use that to bully the market and control things moving forward. I've always heard that it's easier to be like second, to be the second biggest offering because you don't have that tall poppy effect. You don't have culture wars coming after you as the most obvious example of X. But I agree. I'm sure that the Burger King CEO probably goes out on the occasional jog, but he's not running <laughs> 50 miles a week. That's what it takes to be number one and lead that kind of organization. It is harder. And having that strength and knowing that you have that strength puts you in a position of power. And what do you do with that power? There's a lot of things that are scary for McDonald's. This case study talks about the Chick-fil-A epox, which is a letter that the franchise operators wrote to McDonald's corporate worried about Chick-fil-A, especially those in the Southeast region of the United States, and how when a Chick-fil-A comes to town, it really starts to eat a lot of the chicken market. There's a clear concern about Chick-fil-A spreading, and it shows that a focused attack can be really effective against McDonald's, especially as we look at that massive menu with all of those different items. McDonald's isn't doing one thing very well. They are fighting a battle on these multiple fronts. And I think that even goes back to the plan of committing to the core and staying really focused on burger, chicken, coffee, not getting too distracted. How do you think this position of strength affects the labor market for McDonald's? There's been a lot of unionization at Starbucks and across like the retail and service sector in general. How do you think this is going to play out? We know that staffing has always been a major issue for McDonald's. And we've talked about how fast food turnover for employees is 60% at the operator level, which is insane. Corporations at this scale, their profits come from being able to exploit their workers. So it's a strange balance of how far can they push things? How much support can they give to their employees before it starts costing them money? What can they give their employees that doesn't cost them in order to pull them away from unionization efforts, as well as they have untold millions of dollars that they're willing to spend on anti-unionization efforts should it ever come to that. There was also a time summer, I think it was summer of 2017 or summer of 2018, where McDonald's actually had strikes and they were about wages, but they were also about sexual harassment. And from what I understand, I have some inside corporate intel on McDonald's training and they've really upped the sexual harassment stuff since then. I think a lot of abuse can happen that corporate can essentially say, we didn't know anything about that, even though within their three ring binder system, everything is controlled. And so they're allowing it if they're not disallowing it. It's interesting that McDonald's is beholden to the risks of labor management and of all of these underpaid workers, but they're not employees of McDonald's corporate. I wonder what the levers are for McDonald's to actually change how franchise employees are treated, what those levers really are and how many of them there are. I'm sure a lot of it is in the franchise agreement. So they could just change the three ring binder and change the labor conditions at McDonald's if they wanted to. 
They could, but they won't unless something is broken and not working. Sure. They won't just do it for fun or because they think it's a good idea or they won't. I don't even think they'll do it in terms of, hey, can we tweak this dial in order to get a little bit more efficiency? They'll only touch that dial if things get really bad and that starts to become a problem. The Green Bay Packers is one of my favorite examples of this. They're an NFL franchise that is owned by the fans. You can actually buy a share and then you can be a part owner. And it's the only NFL franchise that has ever done this. And the reason for that is they did it. They sold themselves to their fans as a giant co-op. And then the NFL made it illegal for anyone else to do that. So that's one of the levels at which corporate can dominate the sort of individual franchises. And so I wouldn't be surprised if something like profit sharing, co-op models, any of these kind of more interesting efforts are probably all anti-McDonald's corporate, whether specifically laid out in the franchise agreement or not. McDonald's is the NFL in this situation. Yeah. Just for our listeners. Demand for healthier food. We talked about this a little bit. Chicken has that perception of being healthier than beef. But then on the flip side of that, healthier items mean increased supply costs, which tends to raise prices. We've also seen that customers of McDonald's remain very price sensitive. So there's a balancing act there of how do you get things that are healthier in the sense that they sell? Because you don't want to provide something like, look, we have healthy options and then no one buys them. But at the same time, it has to be something that you can sell and maintain the same profit margin as you can on your incredibly organized and orchestrated beef supply system or chicken supply system like it's hard to come up with a new item that's going to have the efficiency of some of those older more well thought out and designed systems customers remain price sensitive they also remain willing to say that they want healthier food and then not eat it when mcdonald's offers it i believe that kind of happened at various times in mcdonald's history and i think jan fields actually got blamed for this for trying to make things healthier or at least it was a bad coincidence that she was trying to do that and sales declined. There's a TikTok chef, former corporate chef of McDonald's, who talks about the hash brown breakfast sandwich trend that's been happening, where people are buying two hash browns and replacing the breakfast ingredients to make a hash brown sandwich. He pitched that when he was a corporate chef and was shot down for two reasons. One was it was such a high calorie item that it violated some of the sort of vague health State ideas. State of California. It was like, it was like yeah. too far even for McDonald's. And then the other thing they were worried about is operationally, they would have to up the level of making hash browns to such an extent that it wouldn't work in the restaurant. It would actually jam up the restaurant by being too popular. That's a really interesting way to think about what McDonald's can do and what kind of foods they'll produce. They don't want something that's in too high demand. The Grimace Shake is a great example of this. Because it became this TikTok trend of not even eating it, of just splashing it on your body and laying in a park, you can't find it anywhere. It's interesting to see how McDonald's offerings have to harmonize in all these different dimensions with everything else that's on the menu. They also want to keep the menu small for operational efficiency. What we've been seeing recently, a couple examples, we've seen three of the McCafe breakfast items get taken off the menu. They wanted to do a promotion with Grimace and all they had to do was one more bottle of syrup next to the milkshake machine. They're doing a new McFlurry release, and it's just a new McFlurry mix-in item. They've got M&M and another one, and they're just adding a third. It is interesting to see how constrained they are by their own system. When you think about the McDonald's machine, 
as a restaurant and how tightly everything connects to everything else, it feels like it's like operating on a submarine. There's no space for anything extra. If -hmm. you wanted to add a whole new food item or a new way of preparing food, you'd have to actually make the restaurant larger. It's also interesting to see that they're constrained with food, but with software and with how people approach the restaurant and engage with the restaurant, how they're ordering, whether they're sitting in their car, whether they're at home, like all these things are wide open. It's very hard to find a new thing that harmonizes and really fits and makes an improvement. But they have all these other ways to try to get people into McDonald's and get people eating McDonald's. They give these modern restaurant technology solutions that we talked about, the digital rollout of the apps and the opportunities to spread beyond the McDonald's location via delivery. But then the hard part of that is now you have the application layer maintenance of all of that work. What happens when a kiosk goes down in a restaurant? As you move from a mechanical operation and into the more digital space, those problems can happen and affect you at scale as opposed to the local restaurant level and need to be fixed faster. Rollouts need to be done, updated. You have to support all these different devices. But one of the things that is economically productive about software is the unit economics. It's trivial to make a second version or third version and you get tremendous economies of scale. They have to maintain the software that's not cheap. I get it, but they get it working the same way at all of their stores almost for free. I think that's part of how it goes. That's true. It just seems like a very important point in the whole system because it can't fail, right? I'm saying it's an area where they have to put a lot of focus, energy, and attention to make sure nothing goes wrong. Yeah. Internet and software companies are pretty good at keeping the software running these days. But I do think they could screw it up in other ways. They could make it too complicated. They could gradually add too much to it and it would degrade the experience. We have talked about the inability to use your McDonald's points in the way that you want to as the customer. You can only redeem your points for a single menu item. Per order. Yeah. I saw this in person when I was trying to get the Grimace shake. A man was confused about why the quote unquote app wasn't working. And the 16 year old behind the counter had to explain this weird issue that made no sense to anyone involved, but was designed by corporate. So that's something where corporate decision to maximize profit is coming down and being put on the shoulders of your inexperienced staff that has 60% turnover. And the risk of these sort of things in my mind is that the corporate software understanding gets so sophisticated and so broke that it's just confusing and disappointing to everybody else. So, so what would you do? What would I do? What would Chris do? What would you do differently than Chris? That's so hard. It's so hard. I don't think I would make a great McDonald's CEO because I want to see more experiments happen. And maybe they're doing these experiments and they just don't talk about them. Things like, I'm not talking about a hotel chain or anything, but I want to see more. I think that did appeal to you in a certain way. I I think that really captured your imagination. I, I loved it. They just went all in on it in a way that made no sense. McDonald's trying things, knowing that a lot of things are going to fail is absolutely okay and exciting to me. What I think Chris is doing very well, and I think the Grimace campaign highlights this, is Chris treats McDonald's as an IP company. Chris could be a Hollywood executive. He just happens to be in charge of McDonald's. And so he's pushing out culture, and then he's monetizing that via burgers and fries. That's the direction that I see McDonald's going in the Chris K era. And I don't hate that, but I think... 
it's pretty strange. I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I walked by the Wyden and Kennedy office, and I was like, oh, this is probably where a lot of the people that worked on the Grimace Twitter campaign are, because it's their oh. account. Oh, they, it isn't? Yeah. Kennedy is doing culture for McDonald's. Wow. That's funny to me, because we're both Portland people, and to me, Wyden and Kennedy has always been the wholesome granola of corporate communications and brands. Founders are dead, man. New people yeah. in charge. Different world. So again, I think Chris coming from that more product marketing history with Kraft, looking at things like leveraging the character of Grimace, they saw a return of investment on the Grimace shake that they did not intend. And they managed it really well. They are going to try again and again to do things in that space. So I predict within the next three years, there will be an announcement of some sort of McDonald's film or television project. Wow, that is a very specific bet that we will hold you to. What do you think? What do you see Chris doing? What would you do differently? What are you looking for as we move out past season one of Hamburger Business Review? I think there are a lot of interesting tensions at play with McDonald's. A tension between trying new things like we all want, like it's all very exciting, and being aggressively streamlined. They have a tension between relying on brand and software and all of these new economy type things while still very much being a supplier driven and supplier restrained business with very tight operational schedules. This isn't like a direct answer of what I would do differently than Chris K, but I feel like I would want to pursue both of those extremes. I would want to be really aggressive about narrowing the menu and mechanizing as much of the food as possible and also trying the batshit crazy Grimace movie or the McDonald's hotel or the weird software API that they're going to make available for developers to do something with. Those are all things that I think would be very much on the other end. So I would try and be more conservative physically and more imaginative with everything else. I would love to see one franchise make a bottomless night where for one fixed price you can have unlimited McDonald's. Do you think that's doable? under the current corporate rules? Oh, absolutely. You could tie it into a high school fundraiser. There's plenty of ways that you could swing something like that and have it be a marketing win. Often when you want to try something innovative, it gets positioned as a marketing aspect as opposed to an operational one. And then if it works, it can become more operational. I would do that. Predictions. As we wrap up our season. McDonald's has been hovering a few dollars below $300 a share. There's an earnings report next week. We're going to find out about how the Grimace Shake did. Sometimes those giant marketing wins don't move the bottom line. When you're selling half of all the burgers that America is eating, it's pretty difficult to sell enough shakes to impact that number. Analyst expectations are probably based on how big a meme was that. And as you're saying, that might not translate. Over the course of these last 10 episodes, I went from knowing very little about McDonald's and it was fun to dive into that, start to feel like an expert. But now I feel like coming out of it, I'm right at the point where I know how much I don't know about McDonald's and franchise operations. Yeah, it, It's like the clouds parted. I thought I was some kind of burger expert. And suddenly I realized there's so much more here. It's, it goes on forever in every direction. It touches everything. I came into this thinking that there was clearly some lever that they could be pulling, but they're not because they're corporate and they're stupid. And I came away with this with a, an understanding of how constrained they really are and not entirely by themselves. 
Yeah, the market, the customers, the three-legged the investors, stool itself, as much the, as it the is franchisers, stabilizing. The suppliers. Yep. It's also limiting. My idea of McDonald's has shifted so much over the last 10 episodes. I saw it as the dominant fast food chain representative of, of what fast food is to us in America and the world. And I think I'm coming away from it seeing, oh, the way that they have led that over time and maintained dominance over their 70 plus year history is impressive. Whenever I see the Golden Arches now, it's like I'm a little bit happy. It's worked on me as a marketing effort to just talk about the business of burgers. I've eaten more McDonald's in the last 10 episodes than I probably have in the 10 years before that. We have entirely switched. My order now is a, a large unsweet iced tea and a bag of apple slices. What's next? What's next for Hamburger Business Review? In November, I'm going to take another stab at eating at every McDonald's in Manhattan on foot within 24 hours. I did that last November and I got to, I think, 48 out of 50. And I'm coming back for those two that I missed. Are you going to change um, your route at all? Or do you have the route optimized already? That's a good question. I winged it last year, basically, but I developed a strategy on the fly. I think this year it's going to be to start at the Lower East Side and the Delancey McDonald's. And then if I work my way up the East Side, that's going counterclockwise. Mm -hmm. And last year I went clockwise from Penn Station. Maybe we could do a little five-minute bonus episode on the podcast. Oh, definitely. Just, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh.